wind, nighttime, a Pharisee, and Jesus. Grab your Bible and let's talk. Welcome to the Bible, Glitter, and Glue podcast, where Bible study and thought-provoking conversation lead to creative teaching. Now, here are your hosts, David and Mary Nelson. As we are recording this podcast, David, can you hear the wind? It's blowing. It is blowing. It's it's really blowing outside. Even through the night, we could hear it. And in our yard, there's a big bougainvillea plant that is now on the ground. We've got rubbish and recycle bins outside. I saw you chasing those down this morning. It's blustering. It's very windy right now. Today's lesson, we're going to be talking about wind. In John chapter 3, verses 1 to 21, we have the story of Nicodemus coming to visit Jesus. And in this conversation, Jesus talks about the wind blowing. You don't know where it comes from or where it goes, but you can see the effect of the wind. You know, you can't see the spirit, but you sure can see its effect and feel its effect. This story begins at night. We don't get that as often in the scripture, do we? But the story opens, it's nighttime, and here comes Nicodemus, a Pharisee, who comes to see Jesus, this man he has heard about, the, the man who is performing signs and miracles, and Nicodemus knows Nicodemus knows there is something up. He does. It's interesting that the setting of the story is at night because it all fits with the conversation and the reflection on the conversation in this text we're going to be talking about. Let me say something about Nicodemus. He's introduced here in the text in verse 1, who is one of the Pharisees and also an important Jewish leader. Pharisees were a very influential group. Someone has said a pressure group in Israel. They were very meticulous about following the law. They really wanted to please God. They really had an intention of following the law to its letter. And so Nicodemus was one of these. And the people generally looked up to Pharisees. And also he was an important Jewish leader, which we learn later he was a member of the Jewish ruling body called the Sanhedrin. They were made up of influential families in Jerusalem, and they controlled things. They were under the Romans, of course, so had a lot of political power. They often get a really negative take in in Scripture. Well, you know, there are a lot of hypocritical Pharisees. There were Pharisees that wanted to keep that power. They were always trying to trick Jesus, tripping people up. To have a genuine-hearted Pharisee is a great thing. This is remarkable. You know, not all Pharisees were, like they're often depicted in the Bible, there were genuine ones, and they may still have disagreed with Jesus, but they were genuine. And so this is remarkable that this person, Nicodemus, he hears about Jesus, he's witnessed his miracles, and he comes to Jesus. He seeks Jesus out. He wants to know more. But he does come at night. You wonder if he maybe doesn't want to make that really public, He's coming when there are not maybe as many people around, maybe not the other Pharisees, and he's just coming and having this talk with Jesus. So just him and Jesus having this conversation. Jesus hits him with a really interesting statement. 
I mean, here's a teacher who knows so much. And Jesus says, Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And that would have hit him right between the eyes. You look at Nicodemus and the person that he was. He reached the pinnacle in the Jewish world. Not only a Pharisee, which was like, you know, the best person you could be. He was also a leader. He had status. He had wealth, probably. And he was a Jew, for and one he, thing. He was he a was Jew. son of Abraham. And God had already promised that Abraham's family are his chosen people, his elect, his special people. And Nicodemus would have believed that since he was part of this family of Abraham, part of the elect, that he had a ticket with God. But Jesus says to Nicodemus, you need to be born again, or you need to be born from above. And that hit him right between the eyes. Jesus is talking about a different world, maybe? I'm not sure exactly how to put that, but it's different from just the physical things that we see. Being born of parents, being a baby, growing up, learning, all of those things. That's one kind of birth, and it involves all of the things around us that we see and do. That's one reality, one part of reality. And that's where Nicodemus was at. Yeah, that's all he knew. Right. But Jesus was coming from a whole different perspective, because Jesus says, I've seen something else. I come from something else, from that spiritual realm. He says, I come from above. So Nicodemus doesn't understand what Jesus meant, so he, he's confused. So we ask the question in verse 4, and Jesus responds in verse 5, clarifies, unless you're born from water and spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then Jesus tries to clarify even further, there's a fleshly birth, but there's also a birth that the spirit gives you, or a spiritual birth. You shouldn't be surprised that I said you have to be born again. To Jesus, that shouldn't be obvious. We all need a new beginning. That is for sure. We all need a new beginning. Even the most elite teacher needs a new beginning. Right. We cannot rely on anything physical to get us to God. It has to be from God. You know, if I was writing down an outline, as I do, the first couple of verses are just Nicodemus coming to Jesus. That's chapter John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And then the third through the eighth verse is Jesus talking about being born again and what that means. But then things break with a question. Nicodemus says, well, wait a minute, how is that even possible? So right. it's... Like in these next verses, 9 through, what, 15? 15. You have Jesus explaining what this is all about. He says, I'm the only one that knows both of these worlds. I've come from above. I understand. This is all possible, Nicodemus, because of me. It's interesting that yeah, Nicodemus's question moves from one of misunderstanding in verse 4 till he asks in verse 9, how can this be possible? So he knows that his thinking is wrong from what Jesus had said, but he still doesn't know where Jesus is going. And, and then verses 10 through 15, basically Jesus is saying, yeah, you have to be born again, and I am the one who can bring this about. Like you said, Mary, I am from both worlds. I come from above, and I've been sent from the Father. 
He draws a lot of, I don't know, contrast between the earthly and the spiritual. I mean, that birth and rebirth is one, but but he keeps talking about, you know, heaven and earth and what's temporal and what's eternal. Actually, it goes really deep. (laughs) I am not a teacher of the law, Pharisee. I struggled with this passage. It's like Nicodemus. I, I know I'm not quite right in my belief, but I haven't quite arrived. I need to understand more. And that's true for me, too. We were discussing this beforehand, and there's, you know, the more you discuss, it's like, okay, wait a second. You sort of go a little bit deeper here. Nicodemus is maybe a, an example to us in that, that he doesn't understand. He asks a question. Jesus explains. He asks another question. Jesus explains some more. So that's what we need to keep doing is continue to ask questions. And it's interesting. Because he is a teacher of the law, he really understands a lot. And maybe that's why Jesus does push this more deeper, you know. And this example of he's using an Old Testament example of a serpent being lifted up on a pole, and the people look at that and believe and are healed. And he's saying, that's it's like me. The Son of Man is going to be lifted up. So he's, wow, he's, he's taking an Old Testament reference. He's applying it to the future, to the crucifixion of being lifted up. That's what seems to be referred to here. Yes, I think you're right, yeah. He's taking this man through a, a lot of mental hoops, isn't he? So Jesus, yes, Jesus is the one who brings this life, but he says the Son of Man must be lifted up, reference to his crucifixion. So this section, and then at the last, the last verses in this passage, verses 16 through 21, that seems to be not... Now, some versions have Jesus speaking. I mean, in a red-letter version, you, you may still have Jesus speaking. Others say, no, this is John the writer of the Gospel of John, he's giving commentary, he's explaining. And so, as we've talked, we've kind of come to that point, that it's probably John explaining what this all means. And he begins in verse 16 with that really famous <laughs> verse in the Bible. That probably we, the most well-known verse in the Bible. Right, that many people memorize. That's where he's going to begin. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, that was from the English Standard Version. So, this is why. You know, Jesus explained the how. He says, it's going to be through me, and they talked about it. But John goes on to say, okay, big picture. This is all happening because God loves the world, and he does not want anyone to perish. No, God loves the world so much, it says, so much. That he sent his son. That's significant. I mean, you, th- you think about that, God's desire, God's whole work in planning for redemption is that God desires nothing more than to save the world, if you will, save humanity. The hum- humanity is in darkness. He talks about darkness. We tend to like the darkness, but it's light that gives life. And it's Jesus that brings light into this world. And God has done everything that he can to bring salvation, to bring light, to bring life to humanity, to us, to me, to you. And that's 
I think that's what he's getting at in verses 16 through 21. So John's commentary, you know, he draws that same comparison, that light and dark. He goes on to, to talk about that more, just comparing those two things. Jesus is, he lights up and brings from darkness, he brings understanding and hope. And this is such a great, I guess, sermon in a way, because you start out with Nicodemus coming in the dark, and he ends this passage with light. That's a good point. Nicodemus is interesting. He's only mentioned in the Gospel of John, and he shows up three different times when he's introduced, and he comes to Jesus at night, and he's questioning. He seems to be very sincere, wanting to know. And then in chapter 7, Jesus is being questioned, and Nicodemus comes to Jesus' defense. And then the only other time he's mentioned in the Gospel is at the end of the Gospel, at the crucifixion after Jesus dies, that there's a Joseph of Arimathea. This is in chapter 19. And Nicodemus, they request the body because they want to bury Jesus to give him a proper burial. And so Nicodemus appears at the end to give Jesus a proper burial. So the text doesn't say clearly, but it seems to imply that Nicodemus is growing in his understanding of Jesus and his faith in Jesus, becoming a follower of Jesus. So Nicodemus came to the light. He seems to have, yes. As I'm reading this passage, that's my desire. I want to come to understanding. I'm thinking about my students that are learning and growing, and some of them do come quietly. I have the, the very talkative <laughs> students that tell you everything they think and will tell you everything what other people think. But, but then I have the quieter students, and I never want to assume that because they are not participating in a loud way, I don't want to assume they're not thinking, because I think Nicodemus was thinking. So I want to be attentive to all, all of my students. That's good. You know, Nicodemus helps me to know that it's okay to ask questions. And no matter who you are or what you know or don't know, ask questions. And no question is too dumb. We may look at Nicodemus, and it may be obvious to us that Jesus is talking not about physically being born again, but, you know, Nicodemus didn't understand that. And Jesus answered the question. It's good to ask questions, and it's good to keep asking questions. That's how we learn. And it's good to patiently answer the questions with respect. Right. Well, David, as I'm looking at this very rich passage— that I'm not exactly sure if I fully grasp, have a feeling I'll be thinking about this probably the rest of my life, what this all might mean and what this means to me personally. But there are some things I want to make sure that children do learn from this passage. That phrase, being born again, Jesus said we must be born again. So I do want my children in my classroom to hear that phrase being born yes. again, as kind of complicated as it is and a little complex, I do want them to hear that being born again is important and that being born again is having a new beginning with God, with Jesus, with the Spirit, and that is a new birth. That's good. How can you help children understand what that new birth, what it looks like, what yeah. it means? Well, that's a tough one, 
because children often are, especially younger ones, are very literal. So here you're using this out there example, really. And if it stumped Nicodemus, think how much it must stump <laughs> right. a child. That's good, good but, um, but children are also very familiar with birth. With babies, they're seeing babies being born around them and often because of their age group. So I think just talking to them about what it means to be a baby, a newborn baby doesn't know what to, how to talk, how to walk, doesn't know what to eat. They, all of these things, they're looking to their parents to learn and understand and be helped And so when we talk about being born again in a spiritual sense, it's like we have to learn a new way to live, just like a baby. We, We need to know the right things to say. We need to learn how to say kind words and good words. We need to learn how to take care of ourselves in a new way, in a in a spiritual way, through prayer and Bible study and and being with other Christians. It's starting over fresh. So it's just learning again. I think maybe that's how I'd approach that. That's great. And I think that would be a good approach, even in talking to adults, trying to get us adults to understand this concept of new birth. It's like learning how to be the new human, if you will, the new person and doing it right and believing it right. But also, I think I would want to take a little time to cover what it means to be spiritual, what physical and spiritual mean, that they're different, they're both real, they're both reality, but we see what is physical, but we can't see the Spirit, but we can see what the Spirit does. And maybe talking about the fruit of the Spirit, you know, when we see Christians that are patient and kind and joyful and loving. That's the Spirit. We're seeing the works of the Spirit in their life. I think I maybe would have a a picture of myself, and I'd show the children that that's me, and I'd show them pictures of other people that they know, maybe other people at church, other children, and I'm showing them those pictures, but then really I have actually placed a clear paper on top of each of those pictures so that when I go back at the beginning and say, actually, you're seeing the physical, but there's something you can't see. And I think I'd lift that clear film up and just say, there's a spiritual part of me that you cannot see. And that's through my new birth and the spirit is working on me. And then I'd show that Each of those people have that part that's also part of them. We just can't see the Spirit. Oh, that's good. In an adult class, one question I would ask relates to, you know, what Jesus said to Nicodemus about being born again, and Nicodemus misunderstands, and so Jesus clarifies in verse 5, unless you're born from water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So here we have coming together water, spirit, and new birth. And in the Bible, baptism is associated with, of course, it's water, and with new birth, and with spirit. And there's another text in the New Testament that brings these three ideas together. In Titus chapter 3, verse 5, which says, He saved us not because of any works of righteousness that we had done, but according to His mercy, through the water of rebirth and renewal, 
by the Holy Spirit. So there we have brought together these three things, water, spirit, and new birth. So, so how are these two similar, or how do they relate? How can they inform each other? So that would be, a, I think, a good discussion question. I think if I was in that audience, I'd be wanting to know, because you're talking about the physical and the spiritual. I mean, that's such a great example of this physical thing of baptism happening, but there's just so much more going on. Oh, so much more, right. Just one more activity that I might do in a child's class, just as a craft, because I know a lot of us like to do crafts in class. I do, too. I'd probably do a night scene, let the children glue on some stars and a moon and things like that, and, and do a silhouette of Nicodemus and a silhouette of Jesus talking in the night. That'd be just an easy craft to do. Okay. And I would ask the question, how are you like and unlike Nicodemus? Or how can Nicodemus help us to be better followers of Jesus? And so look at the character of Nicodemus and see what we can learn from him. This is such a rich study. I feel like we've just touched the hem of the garment on this one. I've got lots more to contemplate. But I hope as you've listened today that you've gained a little bit of knowledge and just some things to think about, about Nicodemus and who he was and the conversation he had with Jesus. And I hope you can take those thoughts into your Bible class so that when you teach children, you reflect that light and you reflect the Word of God. And may God bless you as you continue to speak into the lives of children. Thank you for listening to the Bible Glitter and Glue podcast. Subscribe now to listen to new weekly episodes and visit missionbibleclass.org for more free resources to help you share God's Word with children.